If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Mark and Sarah call it a comeback. Mark and Sarah been here for years. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. We're talking about them. We're ranking them. We keep coming back to them. Yes, it's episode four of Do Call It a Comeback. The season of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, where we are endeavoring to determine the all-time greatest comeback hit. I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship, and joining me on this journey is my fabulous pod wife, Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah. Hello. We have been here for years. Everyone a delight. So I believe that we have a certain scoring system in place for this episode, Sarah. Am I remembering that correctly? That is the rumor. Please. Uh <laughs> not investigate jesus please elaborate i'd be happy to Uh, okay so in this episode we have the remaining 15 contenders in our season of 60 songs and we are trying to figure out which eight songs are going to make it to the next round to compete in the round of 32 as sarah and i went through the songs we simply said yes or no to the songs that we thought should go through meaning there are eight songs that we chose to get the pass and an additional seven songs that we gave the thumbs down. The patrons did the same thing through their votes at patreon.com slash mastis. Now, when we said yes to a song, we gave it two points. When we said no to a song, we gave it zero points. We're going to figure out which points were allocated by everyone to which song, and at the end of the day, the songs with the most points will be passed through. We've already got an incredible group of 24 hits waiting for us in the round of 32. Which eight will be the last to join them? Well, Sarah, what is our pool of candidates today? Oh, boy. We have some uh, heavy hitters. As we mentioned last week, it does seem like the um, bottom of the bracket, so to say, is the most stocked. So we've got some tough decisions uh, awaiting us from the following list. Suspicious Minds by Elvis Presley, That Was Then, This Is Now by The Monkees, Theme from New York, New York by Frank Sinatra, Touch of Grey, The Grateful Dead, You and Or Hand, (laughs) Your Uh Hand by Pink, Unforgettable by Natalie Cole featuring Nat King Cole, Upside Down by Diana Ross, Walk This Way by Run DMC with Aerosmith, Uh, I should note, Aerosmith is the comeback artist here, and on Unforgettable, Natalie Cole is the comeback artist. We also have Welcome Back by John Sebastian, 
We Belong Together by Mariah Carey, What Have I Done to Deserve This by the Pet Shop Boys and Dusty Springfield, the latter of whom is the comeback artist, When the Night Comes by Joe Cocker, White and Nerdy by Weird Al Yankovic, You Got It by Roy Orbison, and last alphabetically, Your Wildest Dreams by the Moody Blues. Whew. Whew, child. I know. It's a heavy, it's it's a heavy group of decisions we have to make. Starting with no fucking less than Suspicious Minds by Elvis Presley. Uh, I mean, Sarah, hasn't this song just always existed? Was there a time that there wasn't Suspicious Minds, the song? Yeah, I, and Elvis Presley is chart facts wise, such a, such an outlier as he sort of seemed to be in every way. Like, why, why is Elvis the Elvis of Elvis? Like, do you know what I mean? He, he does seem to have always existed like, um, a geographical feature or time. And yet, when you look at like, well, he must have won a gazillion awards. Well, n- no. And they were for gospel things. Like yes. the factoids about Elvis are very um, weird to me always. And that this song is a comeback is also, it's also strange to me. We don't have a clip. I didn't think we needed one. Um, and I actually didn't, pass this one through because I feel like Elvis is sort of um, like sui generis in a way that does not fit with what we're doing here. What did, what did you, what was your take on this entry? So again, this is all, this is very subjective, but for me, I've always received the notion that suspicious minds is Elvis's comeback song. Mm -hmm. Even though technically he had reached number three just a few weeks prior with his recording of In the Ghetto. Suspicious well, Minds. Jesus. Suspicious Minds is the one that was part of that wintertime NBC special. It was the one that brought mm-hmm. him back to the public as a musician after he he had been lost in the woods of making shitty movies for three or four years. And in terms of length of time, it was only um like five years after his like one of his commercial peaks as a singer. But when you're talking about someone like Elvis, he went four years without uh, a top 10 hit. And that's a really long time for someone like Elvis Presley, who for someone was who like, was the king of rock and roll, whose induction yeah. into the army was like this, you know, the stock ticker stopped moments for the culture. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, And also the 60s were just a little bit more of a dry period for him anyway, compared to his, or I should say the mid to late 60s, because the Beatles came and they changed everything and everybody knows. So uh, to me, the reason that I said yes was partially because I subjectively have always understood it to be indicative of Elvis's comeback, but also Mm -hmm. because I love this song, frankly. And it is just one of my favorite Elvis songs. And therefore it was easy for me to give it the old pass through in that way as well. And the patrons agreed they did have it in their top eight. So it is four points total for Evis. Evis. Y'all, y'all heard Evis. the new song by Evis? Elvis Aaron Presley. Um, I am fine with that. I suspected that it would be passing through. It wasn't really close for me. Um, and part of it is everything that I just said. But part of it is also uh, an interesting thing about this song, which I think we will have a clip from in future rounds. 
is that I don't love the arrangement, but his vocal is really wonderful. And I think that sometimes because there were two El, El Vase, um, <laughs> that uh, this tends to be this tends to be maybe associated with the like Hawaii performances where he weighed 300 pounds and was wearing a cape and all the stuff. <laughs> and that just generally we forget that he was quite a gifted interpreter of songs to the point where he really didn't have to try that hard and didn't. Um, and this is an exception in that regard that you really, um, you really understand his facility for interpreting songs and having this wonderful instrument that he, alas, um, did not take care of and then died on the shitter. Poor guy. Okay. Anyway. Speaking of the shitter. <laughs> oh, I do want to say, I will note that I love this song, even though it also has the fake fade out that we were so loudly decrying. Oh yeah. Yeah. Time. Yeah. I don't, I don't love that about it either. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, speaking of things that I don't love, but think are absolutely, um, absolutely indicative of what we're doing here. Moving on to the Monkees 80s hit, That Was Then, This Is Now. This, I think, came at the peak of, like the Monkees were just airing all the time on MTV at this time. And, and Nickelodeon. Um, yeah. Nickelodeon as well. Every channel you could find, it feels like they were always just on. Yeah. Um, the show is not good. Um, and this song is also, I mean, the song is like bad in the way that like, it's a departure from what they used to do in ways that are not good. But this was absolutely the first song that I thought of when we were talking about this topic it's a 60s band, like, leveraging MTV to get a hit in the 80s for all the, like, for good and ill. Um, let's hear a clip of this song, and then let's talk about where it is in our constellation today. Um, no thanks. I believe you, <laughs> Mickey Dolenz. Um, I am on the record as having minimal patience for Mickey Dolenz, but in the last few years, my appreciation for him as a musician and sort of a committed salesman of what it is that he is good at has, um, it has gone up. With that said, this is a fairly cynical lyric um, designed, I think, to repackage the band for its original set of fans. This video is the same. There's really only Mickey and Peter who um, talk about appreciating things more as you get older. Like, Peter Tork in a sleeveless t-shirt 
in this video <laughs> is not the worst thing that happened to me in the last few days. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, this song is not good. They had a, another comeback song that I liked more. Um, but this absolutely was um, the not even the Na plus ultra, but like for me, this is the number one example of a comeback song and what we're talking about, especially in this like 60s to 80s subgenre. So in this section, this was my number one, went through with no problem. I think that I might have a stronger association with this song and this concept than others just because I was like, sick home from school sick a lot that year when these monkeys reruns were on all the time and i think it just imprinted on me in a way that it might not have for other people what is going to happen with this song mark talk to me well it is worth noting that the song did peak at number 20 so it was a legitimate comeback hit for the monkeys and uh, i don't think anyone was expecting that considering they had not had a hit since the 60s so that is pretty cool um, I also was in, I was in second grade when the monkeys were airing on Nickelodeon mm-hmm. and everybody in my class just loved that show. I just remember us at recess singing the theme song, uh, uh-huh. doing the, sort and doing of weird, the legs. Yeah. Yes. Sure. The like crossover legs thing. Uh-huh. Like we all loved them. And for me, the monkeys were just like, wow this music is great. Daydream believer is great. I'm a believer is great. And then there was this, which was just like randomly also on the Nick rocks video show. But I always felt like that was somehow standing apart from what the monkeys actually were. And to me, because the monkeys popularity in the eighties, their resurgence in popularity was really rooted around the stuff that they had made in the sixties, finding a new birth. Mm hmm more than it was about the return of the monkeys with a new song. Right. Really? The song was like a cash in on the revival of the original material. Totally. Totally. So for me, actually I did not pass it through for that reason. Okay. And the patrons did not either. Wow. It is a, it is a two pointer only for that was then this is now, although I completely understand your arguments, but for me, just like, in my gut, this one didn't pass the test. In fact, this was pretty low. For, this would have been pretty low for me on the list if I had huh. ranked the individual songs. That is that is fascinating because this definitely, like everything that you just said about it being a cash in on the popularity of the originals that like as a TV comeback, I don't think you could really argue <laughs> with it. Right. It's like, it was like the suits of 1985. <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> that works, but it does. It's true, don't, uh, don't at me. I can't really back that up with um, actual information, but it's so interesting that like our gut responses to the nature of this comeback, were going in like different directions because my gut yeah. was like, this is absolutely the first thing that I would think of when we're talking. And, about and I actually, stuff. I love that too, though. It is so striking. Like what immediately jumps to mind? What are the personal associations we have with it? Sidebar. I do want to say on the microphone, what I talked to you about recently, which is that Mickey Dolan has recently released an album of REM covers Mm -hmm. and his version of shiny happy people is actually fantastic. Yeah. You and I were also talking about how I, for some other podcast, I think it was again with, again with this, 
um, was watching the, or no, it was a extra hot great that we were watching like Canadian game shows for some reason. And, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, it was for Canada day earlier this summer. We did a pre-tape and we watched all like these Canadian game shows, including this like basically charades, um, that featured Mickey Dolenz, who as a celebrity contestant, like took his job very seriously and won his like civilian teammates some money like he was there to work and i really appreciated that so good good for him yeah you know what mickey dolan's and i once saw him in a regional theater production of pippin he wasn't very good but i saw him damn it and he seemed like he was trying yeah he i mean the the effort sometimes that's what rubs me the wrong way about Mickey Dolan's like at least on the TV show that he's just like, Oh my God, like you're in the fucking group. Chill out. (laughs) Not capable of chilling out. But, um, as the older I get, the more I sort of respect that he, he probably knows talent wise. He's like an 83, but he's, he's there dressed to play every day. So good for him. That's right. Not everybody got that liquid paper money. So, yeah, Nesmith. I mean, I I still love Mike. I still would. Hat and all. He can leave it on. Anyway, uh, talk about the more you learn about someone, the more you like them. Not true about New Jersey's own Frank Sinatra, who uh, we have a clip. Not that we need one, but I, I did want to bring everyone's attention to some things that are bad about the chairman of the board. Here's a clip of the theme from New York, New York. These little town blues are melting away. I'm gonna make a brand new start of it. Maybe start now? Never mind. If I can make it there, I'm gonna make it anywhere. Okay, look. That's not good. That's not a good vocal. Just gonna say that it's bad. Um, I'm also gonna say that this song... Um, sort of similar to the Elvis conversation from earlier. Like, I just don't believe that there was a world before this song. Uh, Like, they play it every night at Yankee Stadium, even if nobody's there. It's like February 4th. They're like, like, I just don't think, given that the man's nickname was the chairman of the board and that people are still writing books in which he is implicated in the assassination of a president from before we were born. Like, where did this guy go that he had to come back? I just, I don't feel like this is in the spirit of this season. So I did not pass it through. Um, But I also just wanted to say that that vocal stinks. Like, I like (laughs) Sinatra. He's one of the few things I can do at karaoke. Like, Jersey represent, but... uh, Like, you know what? I know you're Frank Sinatra, (laughs) but maybe a little Mickey Dolan's effort. Anyone? No? Okay. 
what did the patrons decide to do with this? They um, decided to agree with you. Weather event. It, and they gave it a, a, a no points. I vacillated on this, but ultimately decided not to include it in my list. But I do think it is pretty interesting to consider that he had not had a true hit on the charts since like something stupid in 1967. Yeah. And then, which is a terrible song, but then somehow came back in 1980 with a song that became in 1980, he had already been recording for 40 years, but this song became his signature song. Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty cool that someone can be recording for four decades before they land on their signature song. And also that lyric that Kander and Ebb wrote about, if I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. That is just like baked into my understanding of New York and what it means to succeed here. Yeah. And at this time... I mean, that movie is, I don't think I've ever even seen it, but my understanding is it's fairly bad. And then that New York City at that time was pretty bad. Like, yeah. going bankrupt, like the Warriors was a documentary. Like, it's, it, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily remember that now, but that this came out at that time is wild. And yeah. that you have Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley in this section of the season together is wild. Yes. It's all wild. Um, that being said, I didn't pass it through because I, again, it's that I ranked this group of songs after we had recorded our first two episodes. And so it was hard for me to overlook this thing that we've hit upon, which is if an artist has ascended to a place in the culture where they're just always there, even mm-hmm. if they're not making hits, they can't right. really have a true comeback. And Frank Sinatra is so obviously an artist like that. Yeah, exactly. Like this is the, person who basically invented like teen culture and bobby Soxers and teenage girls fainting and shit which like you look at pictures of him <laughs> from when he was really young and he shaved maybe once every two weeks and you're like him like huh. what that gangly fella yeah all right um now next we have touch of gray by grateful dead and it is the only hit song that they ever had on the hot 100 it reached number nine in the early 80s but I, I ultimately decided that this was not, for me, a true comeback hit because it was more like the random surprise appearance on the singles chart of a band that was not about singles. It was like mm-hmm. just a random occurrence that they happened to have a fluke hit song. But the Grateful Dead were so popular for so long and they never stopped being popular. And God knows... From what I understand, they released like 30 songs, but they just played those 30 songs for the course of seven hours a night. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in the Grateful Dead. I'm not interested in deadhead culture. I've just, I don't need a tie-dyed teddy bear wearing a Grateful Dead t-shirt. I don't need to eat a pint of Cherry Garcia. I just don't care about any of it. But I do know enough to know that the Grateful Dead are perpetual for the people who love them. And they're just sort of indicative of a whole way of existing in terms of relationship to music. I do think Touch of Grey deserves to be considered because, hey, Grateful Dead had a top 10 song. What the fuck? But to me, not passing through zero points. That said, the patrons disagree with me and they did give it two points. Um, I also gave it two points. I I did struggle. It was sort of towards the bottom of my pass through 
section, just because like, I think we do have to distinguish at least even if I choose to pass it through the difference between a comeback and a finally showed up um, and that they're not quite the same thing. Um, but reading up on the the cultural sort of ripples of this song and like i remember a sassy magazine like in-depth investigation of um deadhead culture post this song and how touch heads were like ruining the scene or whatever like i dated deadheads at the end of college and i have a i guess higher tolerance for jam band life with a Y than <laughs> some, but I like you, I'm not like now that that part of my life is over. So is my sort of investment in it, but sort of researching the shift in the scene and that the dead's whole thing was always about touring and performance. And that occasionally they would just like shit out an album to get people off their, to get the record company off their backs and like pay some bills and shit. And then they would go back to doing what they wanted to do. And that Touch of Grey had been part of their set list for like five years before they put it on this track. And then this video was like perfect for them because it's like a bunch of skeletons with like in their clothes playing the song. And like what a perfect encapsulation of not just them, but also how MTV had the power to translate a 60s and 70s phenomenon to right. the mid-80s. Um, and it's like, it's still such a watchable video. I like the song. Fine. It does sound 80s, but without being too, like, I don't know, um, mercenary about it. And... um Evidently, this was a Clive Davis project, this single, I mean, which... yeah. <laughs> like, so was, what by a, the way, so was That Was Then, This Is Now by the Monkees. Like, why is Clive Davis part of literally every song? Um, because he's basically the Emperor Palpatine and has existed <laughs> ah. forever, and this is what, this is his power, that he stands that at a crossroads with, um, you know, some brimstone and just waits for yeah. someone to be like, uh, ah. second mortgage, anyone? Some brimstone and a matcha latte and just waits. Yeah, I mean, look, he he understands his assignment, and and so do we. Um, so yes, I passed this through, and I would recommend going to the official video on YouTube and just reading the comments because it's really, um, it's really this like community of people who have, um, let this song sustain them through some real darkness in their lives, including getting into recovery. Um, sending aging parents through the veil. Like, it's really, the effect of this song is really quite touching. This is, like, entirely aside from its fitness as a comeback song. Just wanted to recommend that, and I'll link it in the show notes. It's it's really something. Well, Good for yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, okay, next, we have You and Your Hand by Pink, and I think we have a clip of that song. Am I correct? We do indeed. Let's hear it now. That's when Dick hit put his hands on me. But you see, I'm not here for your entertainment. You don't really want to mess with me tonight. Just stop and take a second. I was fine before you walked into my life. Cause you know it's over. 
like this song. Yep. But I, it's also like almost ind- indistinguishable for me from other Pink songs. And like, this is definitely one of those where it's like, I understand the facts on the ground here in terms of its <laughs> comebackosity, but I still didn't pass it through because it, this is just like, is this a really departure sound wise to me? No. Did it seem like she had ever gone away? Not to me. So I didn't pass it through, but I'm interested to hear what other people did. Well, the patrons agree with you, but I think you're both wrong, respectfully. <laughs> well, okay. Th- I, that's, this is why we, that's why we vote. This is another one of those lived experience things, because I was, I, I was so invested in Pink as an artist at this time, and I had really enjoyed <laughs> her album, Misunderstood, and it had lots of hits. And then her next album, Try This, totally bricked. No hits at the time, <laughs> even though... I liked the album Try This so much. Then she released the album I'm Not Dead, which was sort of a cheeky acknowledgement of the fact that her last album had completely flopped. Then the first single, Stupid Girls, (laughs) wasn't good and it didn't go anywhere. Then the song Who Knew was released as a single. It flopped. Then You and Your Hand came out and it slowly, slowly, slowly went up the charts. And I started to get so invested in what was happening that I found this website that I still read to this day called Pulse Music Board, where they would Mm. give daily updates on how songs are doing on the radio. So I could see every day how much progress you and your hand was making. So then I was so invested in watching as it finally, finally, finally made it to the top 10. And it had been years at this point since Pink had had a top 10 hit. And she had been written off as a failure, completely ignored, dismissed, whatever. And then suddenly here she is and she's back. And it was so satisfying and this song was such a hit that then who knew was re-released and it made it to the top 10 and that just created the pathway for the next like 10 years of pink having hit after hit after hit so to me this song is a quintessential and the way that this is that was then this is now is for you this to me was the first song i thought of right or among um i also feel that uh we are witnessing the comeback of the term bricked which it's high (laughs) fucking time Kudo, That's right, kudos baby. to you. That gets my vote for sure. <laughs> so listen, I understand that this song is not going to move forward. And in fact, I suspected that would be the case. But I had to include it in my list because to me, You and Your Hand is just an absolute baller of a comeback hit. And uh, I actually think that Pink's most recent albums have sucked. But for a while, she was making some amazing pop songs. And uh, we talked about that, though, in an episode where I brought in four Pink songs. And you're like... I don't like any of these. (laughs) I was like, isn't God a DJ? Why is God (laughs) fucking me over with these songs? I don't like that much. Oh, so my love affair with Pink's music actually ended in 2012 with the release of her album, The Truth About Love. I haven't liked anything she released since then, really. But that era, uh, those albums, starting with this one, uh, God, so good to me. So anyway, I will accept I'm the only one here for you and your hand, but I definitely am. Yeah, you and your cheese standing alone. That's right. My hand cheese, if you will. Oh, ew, ew. yeah, no, <laughs> the, the, I'm not passing that through. Um, next up is Unforgettable by the Coles, Natalie and Nat King. I do have a clip of this and um, I uh, confess that I don't know why we, <laughs> why I clipped it. Maybe listening to it will refresh my memory. Here it is now. 
Like a song of love that clings to me How the thought of you does things to me Never before Has someone been there Unforgettable Okay, it's all coming back to me now, namely that um, Mr. Cole was not the comeback artist, but I just wanted to marinate in his vocal, which is, uh, I mean, his voice is so wonderful and unique, and then hers is not like this huh. her vocal is forgettable and you know i did pass this through actually because i think at the time it is hard to overstate how huge this was and how generation spanning the and like ubiquitous this comeback was 30 years ago it was everywhere we talked about this in the grammy season I don't think it's an especially good song, but I think that it does, um, in terms of bringing an artist or artists back to the forefront of the conversation for multiple generations in a culture that was still mostly a monoculture at that time, you can't dismiss that even if you would like to dismiss the song. It's just my opinion. But I, I can pull the agree. clip because Nat King Cole's voice, um, we... We couldn't spare it, and I still miss it. And I think after this, after I'm done listening to Sucker 15 times in a row again, I'm going to marinate in some Nat King Cole because he was really a wonderful interpreter. Where um, is this moving forward for other people? Well, it is for me, for all of the reasons you just espoused. There's no way that we can deny that this song meets our evolving definition of what makes a true comeback or a comeback worthy of our competition it changed the sound of the artist in question natalie cole it reinvigorated her career it also did bring nat king cole into the four for younger people it mm -hmm. was such a massive comeback that she won all those grammys she sold millions of albums it revitalized her completely and it changed our perception of who she was as an artist um yeah i don't really ever need to hear it again but i <laughs> do acknowledge that it is a very solid comeback and the patrons did not agree zero points from them. So I feel Sarah that we're about to get lost in a wilderness of fours in this episode, mm. but uh, currently unforgettable is one of those that has four. All right. Well, I'm not sure what's going to happen with our, uh, with our next song, which is upside down by Diana Ross. But um I, and I didn't pull a clip because I don't think we need one. Uh, I came close to passing this through, but didn't in the end because Diana Ross is just one of those artists. Like, first of all, it seems like she's always been around, but even if you split her off from the Supremes, I just didn't feel like there was enough time between stuff from a few years prior that she had charted with like mahogany and so on and this and um there is an evolution of sound for sure 
And I have a feeling that I'm going to be in the minority on this vote. Like I said, it was like number nine in the section for me. But as much as I like the song and think it's not wrong for what we're doing here, I didn't pass it through. I have a feeling we're going to be seeing it again, though. Well, it is it's now yet another song that's going to get four points. Mm, okay. The patrons passed it through, and so did I. To me, this is just a song that represents Diana Ross's stepping uh, out of her 70s adult contempo period and into the funky R&B dance songs of the 80s that she was able to succeed with for quite some time. Although, of course, Endless Love also happened, and that was a mm-hmm. super ballad. What am I really saying? I don't know. Um, <laughs> written for her by Sheik's Nile Rodgers and Bernard Edwards. Of course, we've seen Nile Rodgers earlier in the Daft Punk song. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, this is just indicative of an artist who's just like, I haven't had a hit in four years, but I'm coming back in a big way. I'm now going to ride this hit into the next decade. And this song was followed by I'm Coming Out, classic. So, Oh, sure. Um, and of course, then, she, like I just said, she went to number one the next year with Endless Love, which is very popular, or was, though it is boring. Mm, um, yeah, it, so, it was. Yes. So that is, that is why I passed the song through. But I also understand your reasoning, and I think uh, that might be why I don't pass it through again, but, you know, we'll get there. So yeah. that's four, four points for Ms. Diana. Yeah, and, and in our four wilderness, I do feel it was close enough for me that if there's something on the tipping point, I'm, I'm okay with that one. I feel you. Okay, good. Noted. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 40 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How do you feel about Run DMC dragging Aerosmith back into the spotlight with Walk This Way? Um, I feel great about it. We don't have a clip. Um, And weirdly, like in our hip hop season, we didn't, I don't think we wound up listening to this song or talking about it either. Um, But this song was absolutely omnipresent um, on MTV. And it was absolutely like, I, I think watched this video and thought that it was like a, like a joke or like an in video storyline. Like, I don't think I understood that this was actually Aerosmith. And then there's all the fucking scarves on the mic stand and everything. (laughs) And I was like, what is even happening? Um, and then I just didn't put it together with what I would hear on classic rock radio, which was um, dream on or whatever, like the big hits from 10 years ago for Aerosmith. Uh, I think it absolutely qualifies. I think that it's this wonderful marriage of something that we've seen a bunch of times 
previous to this in the in our countdown um first of all 60s to 80s or like early 70s to right. 80s and um hip hop and another genre and yep. hip hop sort of like finding something that was forgotten and cool and you know twinkling in the dustbin of rock history that hip hop is able to sort of like shine it up in a new way that makes it um that makes you appreciate both things more so yeah this was a um this was kind of a no brainer for me this was number 2 in the section and uh, I have a feeling that we're going to be hearing from it again, but I'm not sure. We finally have one straight six, at least, Yay! in this episode. Because, of course, we all voted for this song. Come on. We are not thing, bugging. Like, like, uh, yeah, exactly. Mary, Mary, vote Why for this song. Yeah, <laughs> it's but, a six. But it's hard to overstate the importance of this song in pop culture history, frankly, because mm. it was, I, I want to say it was actually the first rap song to reach the top five in the United States. I think and that's if not, right. Yeah. If not the first, certainly one of the first. And so in, in, in terms of making hip hop more widely known and embraced, huge record. Mm. And it resurrected the career of Aerosmith. Like, they were yeah. not going anywhere and they were going nowhere quite quickly. And then suddenly this is the song that sets up dude looks like a lady loving an elevator angel. Janie's got a gun. Mm-hmm. I don't want to miss a thing. Like all of the shit that they did for the next 12 years started here. So talk about a song that fucking worked as a comeback vehicle. This is it. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, I think this actually might be the biggest like the most boxes ticked in stuff that we've talked about. So yeah, it it just really has it all super, super psyched that that got the first six of the discussion today. I, I know at least we got one. Don't think there's a six in the cards for uh Mr. Cotter, which is why I pulled a clip because (laughs) I like knew this song. I knew who, sang this song i knew this i knew the title of the song and then i like clicked on it on youtube and was like oh like i don't know why these facts had like trickled out of my head but this is one of the all-time great theme songs from the golden age of tv theme songs that are actually two and a half minutes long charting i don't think it's going to be charting for us so i pulled a clip just so that we could spend some time with it before welcoming it back to (laughs) the forgotten pile maybe i'm wrong but just in case here is john sebastian's welcome back and i know what a scene you were learning in was there something that made you come back again and what could ever lead you Uh, yeah, that harmonica is not great, but once you remember that John Sebastian <laughs> was in Love and Spoonful, you're like, oh, like some of the graphics from like the, just Google like 
European pressings. Welcome back, Sebastian. And like the shit that he is wearing on like, <laughs> I don't even know, like the Polish <laughs> pressing of this song. You're just like, is is that tie-dyed red chambray on your hat, sir? Like so it, the entire 70s just like... <laughs> vomited on John Sebastian. He looks thrilled. Um, I love this song very much. I immediately added it to my um, Old Lady Walk playlist. And um, now I bid it adieu because I I could not pass it through. I, I wanted to. I tried. It was like number 10, but I just can't. Like, it's a great story, but I didn't know the story until I started researching this episode. So I don't think that's enough. I just don't. What about so, you? So to give a little insight on that story, John Sebastian, as Sarah said, was in fact the lead singer of the Love and Spoonful, which I will say is one of my favorite bands of the 60s. I mm-hmm. think they are great. We talked about them when we discussed their song, Darling Be Home Soon. We did. They just, I just think that they have that perfect blend of horniness and intelligence yeah, they do. Some would say the same about me. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> and so John Sebastian had left the band. They were no longer together. He randomly got the opportunity to write the theme song for Welcome Back, Cotter, an as yet unknown show. Obviously, nobody knew it was going to make John Travolta a star, et cetera, et cetera. And then this song became an out of nowhere number one hit for John Sebastian, which is a really cool story. I also, however, did not pass it through, even though it is right on the cusp for me. Just there are other songs that I think are more exciting and fit the brief more uh, fully. But Welcome Back should absolutely be here in the season, and I'm glad that it is. Yeah. And uh, the patrons didn't put it through either, so that you're correct that we will not be welcoming it back. That's zero points. Mm. Well, now we have to determine whether we belong together with Mariah Carey and this season. Um we belong together's video. Uh, I surely I remembered this, <laughs> this um, autobiographical tale starring <laughs> Princeton's own Wentworth Miller. Because I remember watching this video and it prompting a reminiscence among many of my Princeton classmates of how many times we were in the pool room at the Ivy Club, hitting on this motherfucker and just being like, we threw everything we had. At Wentworth Miller, and he was not having the mammarian American experience at Princeton. <laughs> I also love that he basically, like, he's not very good at acting, but I love that he just quit because he's like, I'm tired of pretending to be straight. It's like, well, okay, fair, but also it's <laughs> acting. Like, why don't you pretend to be a good actor? Maybe that would help. <laughs> Um, I like, I have nothing against him. I actually liked prison break. I thought he was good in that. I thought he was good in legends of tomorrow. And, um, he was nice to me. He just didn't want to French, which fair. Um, so he's in the video as like saving Mariah Carey from her marriage to Eric Roberts, Matola, whatever. Um, Eric Roberts has never looked more fuckable to me than in this video. And I was like preoccupied by that whole vision of him in a tuxedo. But is the song really something that we're going to pass through? I'm not sure. So I clipped it just in case. Here it is. Right here. Cause baby, when you left, I lost 
I love this vocal from her. Yes. Um, I love this video. It's quite extra and was directed by like Brett Ratner. Is that right? I Why wrote not? that down, but that seems fake, but also but it is totally true. like on yeah. brand for her. Uh, I Here's where I struggled with this. Loved the video, loved going back to that time in my mind. Lo- love the vocal. Like, I'm not a big Mariah guy. I like the song a lot. I just feel that because of various Christmas crimes against Christmas singing that she has committed that we have discussed on this very podcast that she has never gone away. Like, I don't feel like she has gone away in over 30 years. So like, I'm sure that strictly speaking on the merits, on the factual merits, this is a comeback, but I just, I couldn't get there in my heart and in my gut. So (sighs) no from me. Sigh. You? I knew all of these songs on the countdown that were released after the year 2000 were going to have an uphill struggle. Although that's not fair because Sucker clearly made it right. Here's what I'm saying. I really wanted this song to get through and I knew it wouldn't. Mm. But that's okay. Life is full. The sun will rise tomorrow. No, I'm glad we got to talk about it because (laughs) fucking Eric Roberts looking like he's going to murder someone and me being like, hmm, I'll be in my bunk. I mean, look, does this happen every day? No, it doesn't. No. Okay, you didn't put it through, neither did the patrons, but I'm going to make my argument all the same. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's somebody out there listening right now who's like, Mark, please speak on behalf of the song. So I shall, damn it. Um, in 2001, Mariah Carey released the movie Glitter, the infamously terrible and yet also <laughs> quite wonderful film. It's it's gorgeous. I it love was it. such a flop. It actually came close to ruining her career. She had uh-huh. a nervous breakdown on TRL when she was trying to promote the film. She came out in like a weird little booty short outfit pushing a cooler full of ice cream or popsicles or something and seemed really to be out of it. Mm. Um, the song Lover Boy from the Glitter soundtrack was basically manipulated by her record company to get to number two on the charts for reasons I won't bore you with now, but it was a not a success. The following album that she released after the bomb that was glitter was called charm bracelet. And no one gave a salty fuck about that album at all. It was her only album to that point that didn't have any top 40 hits, let alone top 10 hits. And you're talking about a woman. That song is actually not bad either. AMA. Uh, Yes. I actually heard charm bracelet. Oh shit. Well, so see it. So you're talking about an artist who had a, who had had a number one single, at least one, every year from 1990 to 2000. And by 2003, she couldn't get arrested Mm. then. So the narrative about Mariah Carey was the cruel narrative that is so often affixed to women in pop music, which is she's crazy. She's too old and she's Mm -hmm. over. Every single woman in pop music will eventually be haunted by this. If she's popular enough, it's coming for all of them. Taylor Swift included. Maybe she'll escape it. I hope. I hate that narrative and I'm exhausted by it. Maybe we've moved past it. But at the time, we had not. Then Mariah Carey releases the album The Emancipation of Mimi, which was meant to be a sort of raw album that like reset her career. But the first single, It's Like That, peaked at number 16. Actually, this in the video for It's Like That is part one of the story that concludes in the We Belong Together video. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) I I do remember that factoid. All those Eric Roberts things. But then 
We Belong Together comes out, and it was such a hit. It was 14 weeks at number one. It set a record at the time for the most radio audience ever recorded in America for a single song in a single week. Uh, It was literally inescapable. I can remember I had just moved to New York. This was the summer of 2005. And when I was walking to get my groceries at the Key Foods, or no, I'm sorry, at the C-Town in Park Slope, Mm-hmm. Every car I walked past one day seemed to be playing the song Blasting from its radio. So to me, this is a song that reestablished Mariah Carey as an absolute chart force. She followed it up with even more number one songs. It really did resuscitate her career in a successful way. And I love the song. That is why it is to me a fantastic example of a true comeback. But I accept that that's it for me. I'm glad I was able to give this monologue on this episode. I am glad too. And um, it is possible that I erred, but. Ah, what can you do? Yeah. It's, it's all subjective. Take please. the monkeys from me. This is, this is the price <laughs> Listen, of that. If we got upset about these things, we would be um, in our glitter phase, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I, I mean, look, I we do get upset about them, but we have learned to control. Um, our responses and not be shrieking, for instance, what have I done to deserve this? Much as uh, Dusty Springfield inquired on this Pet Shop Boys produced track from the 80s, which, I mean, talk about a classic example of this genre. Dusty Springfield is a is a weird case for me because I feel like she is an icon in certain, like, Torch song, um, secret history of the 60s communities, and I just don't connect with her vocals Mm -hmm. usually, but her story is so floridly, like, out there. And then that the Pet Shop Boys were the ones who linked arms with her and were like, oh, no, 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 like, you can... You can come back from wherever it is you've been. Like I, I think that the Pet Shop Boys. We should probably just do a whole season on uh, the Pet Shop Boys one of these days. But for now, I will say that this is the perfect marriage of producer and comeback artist. And um, the song, the song grows on me. Like I didn't. When I was listening to it, I was like, I don't remember liking this at the time, and I don't think I did, but there is something about the song and the comeback narrative in it that makes it greater than the sum of its parts. We don't have a clip, but I assume that we will get to it later in the season. And um, yeah, I passed this through without much quibble. You? I think you really articulated why this song is great for this season, Um, And I agree with you that the song itself is not even in my top five of Pet Shop Boys songs, though I do Mm. like it. But the story of it is so appealing. Mm -hmm. And she does sound great on this record, too, I will say. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't have anticipated this going in, but this is our second straight six of this episode because the patrons agreed. I'm not surprised by that, in fact, at all. So what have so uh, Pet Shop Boys? Thank you again because they also produced the Crying Game, so they can't be stopped this season. Yeah, it's true, or any season really. Um, when the night comes by Joe Cocker, uh, I forgot that this song existed. Blessedly, um, and uh, 
I, I did pull a clip because if someone could explain to me how this is different from this or Bob Seeger, I'd appreciate it. But we're not going to have to think about it much longer. Here's a clip of Joe Cocker's When the Night Comes. So take me down a lonesome road for me just to let me go That suitcase weighs me down with memories I just want to be the one you run to I just want to be the one you come to I just want to be there for someone when the night I, this is just a, my notes say this is chat Joe PT. Like it just <laughs> sounds like an AI wrote a Joe Cocker song. I'm not totally convinced this is the correct Joe Cocker song. It feels like maybe that duet with Jennifer Warren's should have been here instead. And look, I, I like Joe Cocker feeling all right is an all timer. I love it. I listen to it at least once a week, but this <clears throat> You know, this is just one of those like on paper, sure, it qualifies, but some some songs have to not get through. And this was a pretty easy decision. I just didn't think that it was enough of a like great leap forward in terms of the sound or like at all. And I wasn't sure this was the right comeback vehicle for this guy. And it just is like you threw him and Bob Seger and the guy who dies in The Gambler into a blender and then poured yourself a tall, frosty glass of... And, uh, I mean, no thanks. You? <laughs> so, just a, a little chart fact about this song. In, in fact, was his biggest hit uh, of the 80s after Up Where We Belong. That song mm-hmm. with Jennifer Warren's reached number one in 1982. And then seven years later in 1989, he got to number 11 with When the Night Comes. That was his only other top 40 hit of the entire decade. And um, yeah, you could also absolutely make the case that um, that the gap of seven years between You Are So Beautiful and uh, Up Where We Belong counts as also a comeback. Sure it does. Yeah. But... Joe Cocker is just uh, not inspiring a lot of joy in me (laughs) with this song. (laughs) So, sure. Does Joe Cocker need to be mentioned in a season about comebacks because he kept having them? Yes. Do I ever, ever, ever need to think about this song again? No. Do I think it made any kind of cultural footprint that lasts? No. Therefore, it is a zero from me and from the patrons. When the night comes has reached in fact no one the night. will care the night has yeah. come for when the night comes mm-hmm. <laughs> so next we have white and nerdy by weird al yankovic a song sarah that i love down into the very root of my being yeah me too I, I mean, I didn't pull a clip, but this is one of the Weird Al songs that I actually prefer to the original, marginally. Yeah. Um, and this video is fucking brilliant. The lyric of this is fucking brilliant. Um, Key and Peel and Donny Osmond in your video. Come brilliant. on. And like, <laughs> when asked, Mr. Yankovic was like, yeah, Donny Osmond was absolutely the whitest dude I knew. And Donny Osmond is 
there to work. He's like sproinging around yes. in this video, like cheerfully just being the whitest person alive, which I respect that. Good for him. And on um, YouTube, there is a special version of this video where it's just a, an uninterrupted shot of Weird Al and Donny Osmond. And you just see everything that Donny Osmond tried out. And it is hilarious. It's so good. I mean, a born entertainer, that one. And Weird Al as well. Uh, I, As far as like it being a comeback, like my gut feeling was that this was less qualified than some, but I still passed it through. It was like number eight, but that's enough. Oh God, I'm so glad that you did because I basically wrestled with this and put it at number nine, essentially. Mm. But then I felt sad because, so for those of you who do not know the Chameleon Air song, Riding, which is the police try to catch me riding dirty. That is the song that this song is parodying. And Weird Al, though he has always been a part of the culture in one way or another, had not really had a culturally dominant moment in quite some time when this song reached number nine on the Hot 100, giving him Mm -hmm. his only ever top 10 hit. Even Eat It stopped at number 14. So there was something really great about Weird Al getting to return to the spotlight in such a major way and to go from being someone that everybody had kind of heard of to someone that everybody was really paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm t- basically like, so Mark, why didn't you vote for it? Well, I was torn and I caught close, but then I was like, well, maybe he's just never gone away, but I felt bad about it. But then you pass it through and so did the patrons. So oh, maybe there's nice. a chance, maybe there's a chance because I actually regretted not putting this through. There were just nine songs in this list that I thought really deserved it. And I could only choose eight. So here we are. Yeah, no, that's sort of where I was with Diana Ross. And I was like, if she's at number nine for me, I think everybody else is going to do what needs to be done. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm very glad that we all agreed. And I'm suspecting that we all agreed as well on Roy Orbison's You Got It. Yeah, I think so. Um, And talk about a talk about a crazy story and like the timeline of him with the traveling willberries and that this was like, I mean, talk about a comeback song, like beyond the grave is a fucking comeback boy. Um, Roy Orbison, um, was a, like absolutely was a unique sound. And I think that, um, I think he, for, like, musicians, never went away. Like, if you read on Wikipedia about, like, the birth of the Traveling Wilburys and, like, that all these dudes just sort of, like, knew each other and was like, well, let me just go grab this guitar from Tom Petty's garage. And, oh, right. by the time we get over to fucking Dylan's house, we formed a band. Like, what? Yeah. Also, Bob Dylan was living in Malibu. Does that seem wrong to anyone else? Like, shouldn't he be living, like, in an actual cactus in Joshua Tree? Anyway. <laughs> The point is that this was an absolute, like, blocking out all the sun size comeback um, when it happened. Um, The timing of it is, like, weird and, like, no accidents e on the part of the universe. But this absolutely was, like, um, it was a throwback to a past sound that still had some elements of the present and it was a comeback that was accomplished posthumously. So I really don't think you can argue that it qualifies. 
do I love the Roy Orbison sound? I don't love it, but he is, I mean, he's fascinating just to listen to and to think about how rare that kind of rock interpretation is in any time, in any timeline. So I pass this through. Yeah. I mean, to me, it was a no brainer also because at the time this song really was an event. It was, it was like, it was going to have been a hit anyway, but then mm-hmm. the fact that it was now a hit for someone who we had just lost, who had come back to prominence with the Traveling Wilburys, but now had his own solo hit song, it really just was a huge deal. And then it was such a popular song that when the movie Boys on the Side came out later in the 90s, Bonnie Raitt re-recorded it. Mm-hmm. And it was the kind of song that you would just, it, it was already a standard, you know? Yeah. So And he, I mean, just a note also, that he was 52 years old when he died. Which is, yeah, and in my mind at the time, he was so old. Yes. 52. Yeah. My husband will be 51 He looked 70, let's face it. And that black hair dye was not necessarily helping, but yeah, I mean, 52. I'm 50 and a half. Yikes. Yeah, my husband will be 51 next month. Um, so one of our wow. listeners, Dawn, and on the Patreon comment section was saying that for her, this was the absolute bar none number one choice of the whole season. And I feel that. So this mm. is another straight six. And I'm not surprised. I think it's as it should be. Yeah, I'm not surprised either. Um, it is interesting to see when they're sort of like doubles or doppelgangers of each other in the rankings. Like it's going to be interesting now that we're moving into the next round to see how that is going to settle itself out. Right now that the traveling Wilburys are going up against Roy Orbison. Essentially. Yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, that's some weird, some weird shit. Um, all right. I believe we have come to the last song of the section, and that is Your Wildest Dreams by the Moody Blues, which this is this completes the 60s to 80s MTV pipeline section of our proceedings. And it um, completes this uh, segment of the standings. So let's hear a clip. This arrangement is poo. I mean, look, (laughs) I definitely thought of this song very early in our listing process. And I definitely passed it through. It was number three for me in this section. And I feel like fans of the Moody Blues love this song. And I am happy for them. I, but it is bad. It is a, a bad song. Um, it's sticky as hell, though. We were talking about it before we got on the mic today. And uh, I think it meets the brief. Absolutely. I'm not sure how much further it's going to get, but I did pass it through. So shout out, to, shout out to our listener, Jenna, who said in the Patreon comments that she was 
she had to vote for this because she just thought we might never talk about the Moody Blues again, which, mm. you know, I'd never say never, but I thought that was funny. And uh, here we are talking about the Moody Blues. And it is just a really striking comeback narrative because they had not had a hit in over a dozen years. And to go from Nights in White Satin to this yeah, is a really radical change, frankly. Yeah. And I actually don't have really any kick with this song. I like it, kind of. The I find the melody to be kind of pleasing. It's catchy. But I don't love it. You know, it's just... I, I'm not mad at it, but I would never actively be like, oh, shit, I can listen to the Moody Blues, Your Wildest Dreams? Yeah! Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, it just has that sound that some of these, like, late 60s, early 70s bands coming into the 80s, like a Steve Winwood track from this time versus Traffic, it sounds very calculated to be, quote, current, and yes. then as a result, the second it drops on MTV, you're like, this is already dated somehow. Right, because it was, exactly. They yeah. worked so hard to make it current that it already sounds old. Yeah. Um, but that being said, you and the patrons both agreed. So that's four points for your wildest dreams as oh, well. Oh, God. Okay. So we have a handful of sixes. Do we have three sixes? Or <clears throat> we just have two? three sixes. Okay. We have three sixes and we have six fours. So only oh. one song has to get the boot, which is pretty good. Okay. Now, um, as a reminder, our sixes are Walk This Way, mm-hmm. What Have I Done to Deserve This, mm-hmm. and You Got It. Yep. Correct. Okay. Now, our fours are Suspicious Minds, Touch of Grey, Unforgettable, Upside Down, White and Nerdy, and Your Wildest Dreams. The so only we have to one boot of one of those. Yes, and of those, the only one that the patrons did not vote for was unforgettable. Great. Bye. <laughs> like <laughs> I said what I needed to say. I included the Nat King Cole vocal on the clip. I I am content to uh, escort that off the premises if you are. I think that we can refer to this song as Felicia and truly mm-hmm. say bye. Yes. <laughs> Consider it forgotten. As of right this moment. Well, I mean, and again, we just talked about it in the record of the year season. Yeah, we did. So to go back then, our eight songs coming out of this round are Suspicious Minds by Elvis Presley, Touch of Grey by The Grateful Dead, Upside Down by Diana Ross, Walk This Way with Run DMC and Aerosmith, What Have I Done to Deserve This by The Pet Shop Boys and Dusty Springfield, White and Nerdy by Weird Al Yankovic. You Got It by Roy Orbison and Your Wildest Dreams by the Moody Blues. Pretty good, I think. Yeah. Uh, in my wildest dreams, this is about where I thought we would be in the round of 32. Um, it is about to get ugly, I, I would say. Um, but uh, And it's going to put more than a touch of gray in my hair trying to make these decisions. <laughs> but I think uh, I think we have a good group. I think we have a good group. And um, I wish us all luck in future rounds. Can I just say I'm so happy that the Weird Al song made it? Because it was, I, I had, I think I felt more regret about not passing that song along than I have felt about any song in recent memory. So thank God my error was not, uh, was not the downfall of a song I really wanted to be passed along. Oh, and I'm glad we get to keep 
talking about it and oh. listening to it. And uh, listeners, I'm so glad that you guys have been a part of this process. We could not do it without you. And if you want to vote in future rounds and help us, which please help us, <laughs> we, we need it. Um, you you got it, and by it, I mean the ability to vote by going to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash M-A-S-T-A-S, and we hope that we will see and hear from you there. and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Mark Blankenship. That's me, and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. This podcast is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. And if you want to talk about songs, suggest a season theme, get a pop chart reading or customized playlist, or have a cocktail with us and your fellow listeners, then come on by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash where you'll find polls, happy hours, and tons of extra episodes and content. We're also at Talk Songs on Twitter, at Mastass Everywhere on Instagram, and Mastass.podcast on Facebook. Or just email us, talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. All that contact info will be in our show notes. Scroll down. Hope we'll be talking about songs with you soon. Thanks for listening. And loving you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.